As most of y'all know, I like bluegrass music a lot. And if you listen to bluegrass music, it all most of it takes place back in the mountains, back in the Appalachian Mountains. And it's about the hardships of life in the mountains. And, and then, of course, uh, a lot of the people moved out of the mountains. They moved to, like, Detroit and got jobs and factories. Then they missed the mountains. And so a lot of that's about, you know, wanting to be back home in the mountains. But recently, I've gotten to where I started listening to a lot of old country music. Back in the 50s and 60s, and I guess the older you get, the closer old gets, 70s and 80s. And uh, there's a lot of good country music, old country music. They wrote some really good songs back then. But then I stopped and thought about it, and I thought, well, they wrote a lot of bad songs back then, too. But they don't play those anymore, so when you listen to oldies, you just hear the good stuff, and you say, man, those were the good old days. They wrote good stuff back then. But I've noticed, like I said, with every, I guess, type of music deals with certain aspects of life. And I talked about bluegrass dealing you know, with missing the mountains and memories of mother and father and stuff like that. And there's an awful lot of country music, and I guess even new country music, that deals with marriage problems and divorce. And, uh, you know, most people I hang around with have got good marriages, and Angie and I have got a real good marriage, and so there's just a lot of stuff that I'm not aware of that, that goes on in marriages. And I listen to some of these country songs, and I'm sure some of these guys that wrote these songs either experienced it themselves or knew someone that's going through it. And there's a lot of miserable people out there. You know, some of these songs, I heard one the other day by George Jones and Alan Jackson. Listen to it five times, it just breaks your heart. You know, the, the things that men and women go through, the things that they do to each other. And, and so, I want to talk for a little bit about marriage. And I'm probably not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. But when Peter wrote his second letter, he said, I won't be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in them. I'm not going to read a lot of verses. You know all the verses. I'm not going to read any verses you've never heard before, verses that you haven't heard a lot, or verses you maybe can quote. But like Peter said, I want to remind us of stuff. You know, all of us know how to be healthy. We need to exercise, we need to get enough sleep, don't overeat, cut back on sweets. And how many of us are healthy? Not very many of us, because we fall back into bad habits. We drink too many Dr. Peppers. We eat too much. Have that piece of chocolate cake. Sit in front of the TV. We, if we're going to be healthy, we need to be reminded, even though we already know these things. So I want to talk about marriage a little bit and remind us of the things that we already know and kind of grab us by the uh, collar and, and shake us out of some of those bad habits that maybe we've fallen into. You know... Whenever a, a guy and a girl meet, at first, <clears throat> it's their differences that attract them. You know, maybe she's kind of quiet and, and uh, not necessarily shy, but just kind of quiet and reserved. And he's outgoing and friendly and bubbly, and she just loves him. He's just so much fun to be around, you know. And he really likes her because she's quiet and reserved, you know, and, and kind of a stabilizing force in his life. And so opposites subtract. And so at first, it's our differences that, that draw us together. But then, after a short while, it's our differences that will drive us crazy. You know, at first, like I said, you know, he's all happy and bubbly in the life of the party and outgoing and everything. And after about six months or a year, she's thinking, I wish he would settle down and grow up. 
But you know, I'm, I want to remind, I'm here to remind us that it's our differences that make our, make our marriage and our families better. You know, looking back, when Angie and I, I guess it's still this way, but, you know, after we got married and had kids, I started noticing this. Angie just always wanted to have fun. She always wanted to go out and do stuff with the kids and get them in 4-H and buy them ice cream from the ice cream truck. And I said, we've got to save money. We can't, we can't let the kids just goof off. They can't have messy rooms. We've got to make some rules. We've got to go by the rules. But, you know, both of us were right. We need some rules. But we don't need too many rules. We've got to have fun. But there's work that needs to be done. Also, we can't just always be out playing. And so it's, it was our differences that made the marriage strong. If we will let it. If we insist on just enacting a bunch of rules. And, you know, you've seen the sound of music with Captain Von Trapp. He was, a, I guess, an admiral in the Navy. And he'd blow his little ship's whistle. And all the kids would come in and line up, you know. They never had any fun. And so it's our differences that make our marriage better. You know, I said at first it's our differences that attract us to each other, but then later it's our differences that drive us nuts. I think there's three reasons for this. One is I've come to believe that with a few exceptions, there are no good or bad traits in a person. There's just two sides of the same coin. The girl meets the guy. She says, "Man, I really like him. He's, he's, uh, man. He'll stand up for what he believes. He won't. He won't take anything. You know. He's, he, he's strong. He's, he's got a lot of self confidence. He'll, he'll look after me." Two years later, he's the most stubborn person I know. <laughs> you know, I talked about Angie having fun. You know, that's what attracted me about her. To her was her joking and happy and always bubbly and everything. And then later, man, I wish you'd. Settle down and you know, get serious. And so every personality trait, you know, being strong willed, being happy and outgoing, being quiet, has got a good side, but then when taken to an extreme has got a bad side also. And so we've got to realize whatever it is that's about our husband or wife that's maybe driving us crazy, maybe the thing that attracted us to him to begin with. And so, you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other end of the stick. You get the person that, like I said, is happy and outgoing and joking around. Sometimes they joke around too much and it gets on your nerves. That just goes with the territory. Someone's quiet and reserved and, and kind of stable, you know. Well, maybe sometimes they're a little too quiet and don't, aren't as friendly as you would like for them to be. So I think that, like I said, with a few exceptions, there's not any really good or bad personality traits. There's just two sides of the same coin. Now, it's my responsibility. I told Angie one time recently, I said, I said, you know, it's just not me to be like that. And she said, it's all right to be you, but it's not all right to be rude. We shouldn't use that as an excuse. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's true. That's the way you are. But it's not all right to be yourself and to be in the wrong. So keep that in mind. Accept that about our spouse, that there's two sides of the same coin, but then don't use that as an excuse for ourselves. I was recently introduced to a Dennis Prager video called The Missing Tile Syndrome. 
Of course, we don't have it here, but you know, a lot of schools and hospitals and stuff, they got what they call those drop ceilings. They, they build a four by eight frame and they've got those acoustic ceiling tiles that just sit down in there. And if you're in the room and every one of those tiles is in place and all clean and white, and there's one that's missing, you're gonna look at that missing tile. Why didn't someone put that tile up there? How long has that tile been gone? Last time I was in here, that tile was in. Why don't they fix that tile? It doesn't matter that the other 900 tiles are in place. We noticed the one that's missing. And if we're not careful, we can do that with another person. It doesn't matter how good they are, how well they treat us. There's, there's one thing that they do, or two or three, something they do wrong and we focus in on the missing tile you say if my wife would get rid of this one fault she would be perfect never realizing that the other 900 tiles are in place and it looks really nice it's just one tile that's missing we need to not as a christian get the missing tile syndrome you can do that with our life too you know if my life would be perfect if so what you're saying is your life is already perfect except for this one thing. I guess you're right. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. In other words, don't get the missing tile syndrome. Look at all the things in your life that are right already. There will always be tiles missing. There will always be something to improve on. And when you get this one thing fixed, then, then some, there's something else that comes up. We can't wait until everything's perfect to, to be happy. We can't wait till our husband is perfect to have a good marriage. We can have a good marriage now. You think that that one trait is really getting on your nerves. How about if he stops doing all the other things he's doing right? How would you like that? <laughs> Boy, that would be a mess. Concentrate on what's right and not what's wrong. Don't get the missing tile syndrome. And then what goes along with this is bitterness. You know, I remember noticing when I was a little kid, I guess because I grew up in Lubbock, grew up in an older neighborhood, I have always been amazed that a tree can grow and just buckle up just huge slabs of concrete or a little weed can grow between and, and, and tear up concrete. It just always amazes me how just... Something so weak could, could spring up and destroy something so big. And Paul warns us about this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. He says, Beware let a, lest the root of bitterness spring up among you and many be defiled. You know, it's talking about the missing tile syndrome. You focus in on the one thing that's wrong. We can do that with bitterness. And just like... Uh, Trees can grow up and, and destroy a building or, con or you know, sidewalks and stuff. B bitterness can destroy our lives, destroy our attitude, destroy our good heart, and it can destroy our marriage also. Paul said in Colossians, he said, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, I don't know exactly why Paul singled out husbands, but I think maybe we husbands tend to be a little bit bitter. You know, I talked about Angie wanting to always have fun. And we say, you got to have rules. got to have rules. I think maybe husbands, 
especially, I guess, being the head of the house, we want things to be just right. We want to be in control. We want to tell people what to do. And, and when something's not right, we don't like it. And we can let that root of bitterness spring up. And I've not known a lot of people that got that root of bitterness, but I've known a few. And it is amazing, is not the word, it's horrible what bitterness will do to a person's life. It will take a, a very happy, bubbly, loving, sweet person and turn them into a bitter, hateful person that you don't want to be around. Don't do that to your spouse. You married her or you married him because you love them and, and you saw good things in them. Don't become a bitter person and destroy that marriage. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 31, <clears throat> Paul warns, he said, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He says, Get rid of bitterness. When you, find, when you see it springing up, get rid of it. What do you do instead? He said, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Uh, tenderhearted is how you feel about somebody. Kind is how you treat somebody. Paul said, get rid of the bitterness and put on kindness and, and, and tenderheartedness. When I was a little kid, my mom told me a story about a guy they had a very. I don't know. I need to call her and ask who she was talking about. I might know this person by now. But she told me about a guy that made a habit of hiring people that were smarter than him. I think it seems like it was an electronics business of some type, and he had a very successful business. You know, some people want to be the top dog, and they don't want anyone to be smarter than them. This guy didn't have an ego. He hired people that were smarter than him, people that knew stuff that he didn't know. And as a result, he had a very big, successful business, according to my mother. Now, if he'd gone around in this business and tried to tell everyone how to do his jobs, he would have destroyed the good thing that he had started. When it comes to marriage, we need to let our spouse, our husband, or our wife do the things that they're good at. We don't need to micromanage. We don't need to criticize. Just because something's not the way we would have done it doesn't mean it's the wrong way. It's just a different way of doing things. Just like talking about making rules and having fun. Just because you do things differently doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. Allow your spouse to grow. There was a... I, was told, I guess I've heard it in a lot of different ways. heard that there was an IBM executive years ago and uh, some guy uh, made a mistake that cost the company a million dollars. And his boss called him in the office, and uh, the guy said, well, I guess you want my resignation. And the boss said, are you kidding me? I just spent a million dollars on your education. You think I'm going to let you go now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, every day I, I do swimming pools, and very often I do stupid stuff. I make mistakes. I make mistakes, and I end up buying the part because it was my fault it broke, not the customer's. But that's how I learn. And then the next time I go to do a similar job, I don't make that mistake again because I learn. Allow your spouse to grow. 
Allow her to make some mistakes. Allow him to do some things wrong. And allow them to grow. One of the, the things that we need to get through our heads, like I said, with, with, there are exceptions that need to be dealt with. We need to believe that our spouse is what's called a goodwill person. And I believe that about all of you here. If, if after church one of you steps on my toe, I don't think you did it on purpose. I think you're a nice person. And most likely, if you realize you did it, you say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I don't think, what a stupid idiot. He, he hates me. I don't think things like that. Don't think things like that about the person you married. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 and 12 says that two are better than one. But that's only true if the two are working together and, and doing these things I've talked about. Allowing the other person to make mistakes. Allowing the other person to grow. Here's one of the hardest things for most of us. There may be a few of us in here that are good at this, but there's just going to be a few of us. There was a book written several years ago, I think some of you have read, it's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And if you, if you read this, I think that all seven of these habits are, are Christian-based. And I think the first one, one of the first ones was Seek First to Understand. We get in a discussion, and what I want to do is tell you what I think. Because I think my ideas are good, and I think I'm smart, and I want you to know my ideas. And I'm so busy trying to tell you my ideas, that I forget to listen? James says, be swift to hear, slow to speak. Seek first to understand. This may be the hardest thing that we can do in a marriage. Uh, something comes up, we get in an argument or a disagreement, and I want to tell you what I think and how I feel. Because I'm right, and you need to change. We need to seek, seek first to understand the other person. We need to be sensitive to the struggles, the uncertainties, the doubts, and the fears that our wife has. We need to be sensitive to the hard times that our husband might be going through. And it's a two-way street. If we say, he just doesn't understand me. You know what? Chances are, you don't understand him either. You don't. He may not have mentioned or he may have mentioned. He got passed over for that promotion at work. He thought he had it. It's been there longer. He knows more than the other guy. And the other guy is just... You know, sucking up to the boss, and he got the promotion. And you get kids, you know, your baby on the way, kids going to college. We really could have used that extra money that that promotion would have meant to me. And he thinks about that a lot. And he thinks, do I need to change jobs? Uh, what do I need to do? How are we going to pay the bills? You know, we got those hospital bills coming up. I really could have used that promotion. Do you ever think about those things? No, you're busy with the kids. You got to have the kids the 4-H. You got to have the kids at school. You're dealing with the kids. You men, do you think about that? One of the openers for me in our marriage is when I got to be a fireman. You know, around here, firemen work for 24 hours and they're off for two days. And then all of a sudden, I'd work on Monday, for example, and I was off on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I was taking Angie's driving a school bus or working the cafeteria. I would take the kids to school and I would take them to the 4-H meetings. I'd help them with their homework. I thought, man. <laughs> I'm ready to go back to a 40-hour week job. This is hard. <laughs> Anytime now, and we had four kids. So I, now, this is dumb. We had four kids. 
And so we think, well, we're washing clothes and we're mowing the lawn and uh, we're doing meals. I mean, if we adopt one or two, I mean, nothing's going to change. Still got to wash clothes and, and cook the same meals we were cooking and mow the lawn. It's not going to be any harder. Ha! Huh? <laughs> Doubling your family by 50% is 10 times harder. And now I see a mother, and I didn't, you know, looking back, I was just so blind to some of this stuff. I was so busy working, and sometimes two jobs. And I, now I see a mother in a grocery store that's got three or four little kids, and my heart just goes out to her. You know, I just admire her. I say, that's tough, you know. We need to be sensitive to the, to the struggles and the doubts and the uncertainties that our spouse has. We need to seek first to understand the other side. When we get into, you know, I start to say when we get into arguments, to avoid getting into arguments, we need to be easy to talk to. You know, I mentioned Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Have you ever worked for somebody, a boss, and, and you just couldn't talk to them? You were always in the wrong, no matter what. Every time I walk by, you're sitting down. <laughs> How can you talk to somebody like that? Every time you, you start to explain something, he, he interrupts and tells you where you're wrong. And you, you know what happens when we have something like that? As soon as we can, we get a better job. We don't want to work for someone like that. And so I'm saying to, to you men, I guess to you women too, don't be that kind of person. Don't be the kind of person that's hard to talk to and unreasonable and won't listen. We need to seek first to understand. We need to be easy to talk to. Don't get mad when someone tries to talk to you. When your wife tries to talk to you, don't get mad. If you get mad, you both lose. If you make the other person mad, you both lose. Do you want to win the argument? Or do you want to have a good marriage? Don't get mad. If you get mad, you both lose. And I know you can do this. Because if you started to get mad, and you started raising your voice, and you started pointing your finger in someone's face, and you started making accusations, and I stuck a gun to your head, all of a sudden you'd be able to control your mouth, wouldn't you? You'd be able to control your temper. You need to control your temper without having to be threatened. You're a Christian. You're a grown-up. You made promises to your husband. You made promises to your wife. You don't treat your boss like that. You don't treat the elders like that. You don't treat me like that. Don't treat the person like that that you stood up here and made all these promises to. Control your anger. Control your mouth. If you get mad, you both lose. Don't accuse you don't know what's in someone's heart. I don't know why you stepped on my toe. Maybe I stuck my foot under you. Maybe it's my fault you stepped on your toe. Or you stepped on my toe. Don't make accusations. You don't do that to other people. Don't do that to your husband. Don't be defensive. When they want to talk to you about something, don't start making excuses. I used to do that. I still do that, I'm sure. But I used to do that. Angie would say, say you're always so hard on the kids. And I would say, well, he stole the candy bar. What do you want me to do? Somebody's got to do something. Yeah, but then the other day, Laura forgot her homework. 
and, and you were yelling at her, well, she's going to get a bad grade. Well, Danielle left the water on the other day. Yeah, but we can't afford the water. Angie would tell me, she'd say, listen to what I mean, not the words I'm saying. We can find a good excuse for everything we do. Obviously, we wouldn't do it if we didn't have a good reason for it. But you know, the fact of the matter was, she was right. I had a good excuse for this time and that time and this time and that time. But you know what? I was hard to get along with. I was, I was hard on the kids. I was unreasonable. Don't make excuses. Just listen. One of two things. Either he's right or he's wrong. If he's wrong, you don't need to defend yourself. He's wrong. If he's right, you don't need to defend yourself. You need to change yourself. When you get in a discussion, don't be defensive. Don't wait until you're mad or you're bitter. If you start out a discussion, once you're already mad, it's only going to go downhill. Somehow, we need to learn to talk before that pressure builds up. If you've got a propane tank or a pressure cooker on the stove or something, and it, the pressure relief malfunctions, and uh, that pressure builds up, and that pressure builds up, what are you going to have? You're going to have an explosion. Don't raise your hands. Have any of you had explosions in your marriage? <laughs> we need to learn to talk before we get bitter and before we get mad. Try this. Come up with a phrase like this. Here's the secret phrase. Can we talk? And this, this signals to your husband or to your wife that there's something I would like to discuss with you that may be sensitive and we may have strong feelings about, but let's see if we can do this in a Christian manner and not get mad at each other. Let's, let's listen. Can we talk? Don't wait till you're, till you're mad and bitter. Don't use their sins to excuse your sins. Um, you know, we, we've got to stick to a budget. You can't just go shopping all the time. We really, well, you bought the bass boat. <laughs> okay, now we've got $20,000 in debt instead of just $2,000. It don't make any difference. Don't, don't use other person's sins or, or failings or whatever to justify your own. Like I said, if they're right, then you need to change. Don't use other person's sins to excuse your own. Two wrongs don't make a right. And so, and so we, you know, we start this. You can't just go buy a new dress anytime you see one on sale. Well, look at all the fishing gear you buy. Well, look at all this money you spend at the... Well, look, where's this going? Down the drain. Is that really what we want or do we want a good marriage? We want a good marriage. The problem is we fall into these bad habits. And somewhere or another, we've got to, to stop that downward spiral. You can't spend money, you know, all this fish equipment. You're right. I need to, I've got plenty. I, I need to quit buying so much stuff. Be easy to talk to. Instead of being defensive, instead of getting mad, instead of counter-accusing, Try some of these. Write these down and try these. Really? Why do you say that? 
and then listen. When your spouse comes to you and, and says something, you know, you're, you're too hard on the kids. I'll have to think about that. Or this. You might be right. I'll, I'll think about that. I'll, I'll study on that. I'll, I'll work on that. Here's another one you can try. Do you really believe that? You know, sometimes, like I said earlier, we've got to believe that our spouse is a goodwill person and, and wants the best for, you know, their husband or their wife. But sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we get unreasonable. We get bitter and we say stupid things. We say things that we don't really believe. You are the stupidest man I know. In a soft voice, do you really believe that? No, I'm sorry. You're a good man. I just wish that... Now we can get to... And here, best of all, of all the things you can say, best of all is, write this down so you don't forget you're right. And, and I'm sorry. I'll work on that. Now we've talked about two different ways of handling stuff. Being defensive, getting mad, making accusations, counter-accusing. Or these other things. Which is going to work? You know which is going to work. You know how I know which, you know that which is going to work? Because you do these at work with your coworkers. And if you don't do them with your coworkers and with your boss, you're going to be out of your job. You know how to do it. Treat your spouse with love and respect. Now let's do a little bit of math. I know some of you aren't good in math, so I'll keep it simple. How much is 2 plus 2? 4. How much is 1 plus 3? 4. How much is 3 plus 1? 4. How much is half plus 3 and a half? 4. It all comes out the same. Now, how much is 2 plus 28 30 how much is 1 plus 29 30 and the point I want to make here is in any situation that we're involved in we can change that situation but between people I'm talking about between two people we as Christians can change that situation because we are one half of the situation and we can control our half. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Now if one of you gets mad at me, I can't control that. The one thing I can control is my mouth and I give a soft answer which is going to have a huge influence on the person talking to me. Proverbs also says when a man's ways please the Lord, in other words, when I'm doing what God wants me to do, when I'm doing the right thing, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Even people that hate you, even people that are hard to get along with, you can influence them by your actions. And people you know, go to marriage counselors and they say, it would be so much easier if he would do this or if she would just do this, it would be so much easier. You know, All of the New Testament, from the Sermon on the Mount all the way through the end is trying to get us Christians 
to do the right thing no matter what's going on around us. If you read 1 Peter, it talks about wives being good Christian wives even if their husband's not a Christian. It talks about us uh, being persecuted and the fact that we still need to do the right thing. 1 Peter talks about... Um, I think it's in 1 Peter. It talks about if we have a bad... No, some, uh, somewhere else. It talks about if we've got a bad boss, we still need to be a good worker in spite of his faults. The whole New Testament is trying to get you and me to do the right thing no matter what someone else does. No matter how our wife acts. No matter how our husband is. You and I need to do the right thing. We get to the pearly gates on Judgment Day. And uh, you know Peter opens up the books and he goes... You weren't a very good person. Yeah. But I had a really bad wife. Oh, well, come on in then. <laughs> no, we're judged on our actions. The person gets up the pearly gates and uh, so I had an easy life. I had a good wife, a good job, good kids and everything. So, well, you did good. Come on in. The person says, man, I grew up in India. I was persecuted. I, uh, I lived in poverty. I starved. He said, yeah, but you did the right thing. Come on in. We're going to be judged on, on, uh, on what we do. The best piece of advice I ever got, and I've told you this before, is take care of yourself and you'll stay busy. A lot of times when I get to thinking about the way other people are driving or about the way my wife acts, the way my kids are, the way people at church are, there's plenty of things I can look at in my own life that I've not dealt with yet. And until I get these things straightened out, I don't need to be worrying about everyone else. Take care of yourself first, and you'll stay busy. You know, the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives are to honor and to respect their husbands. Now, I know how it is to have to respect somebody that doesn't act respectable. I've worked with people like that. I've, I've been around people like that. And I also realize that uh, we're responsible for our own uh, actions. But try this. You say, you know, I just can't respect my husband. He's the way he is. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting this backwards now. Husband says, I wish my wife would respect me. She is so disrespectful to me. Try this. Try acting respectable. I wish my husband would love me. Try being a lovable person. We can't change the other person, but we can change ourselves. And you know what? We may be become a more lovable person. We may be become a more respectable person. And they still don't respect us. They still don't love us. But then whose fault is that? It's not my fault because I'm doing what I should be doing. Try doing, try taking care of ourselves first. Dr. Laura says you can't cry and argue and nag your spouse into be, being what you want. The best thing we can do for our marriages is to create an atmosphere where our husband and wife can grow and wants to grow. We would never take a little one or two year old kid and and, and just follow them around and, and, and show them how to do everything for them and show them how to... No, no, you're doing it wrong. You're, let me show you. You know what we do? We sit back and we watch some 
learn to crawl and learn to walk and, and learn to talk and make mistakes. And you know what? Eventually, they grow up. We don't need to micromanage our husband or wife and nag them and fuss and complain and try to fix every little thing to try to make them perfect so our marriage will be perfect. We need to back up, take care of ourselves, and create an atmosphere where it's easy for our husband or our wife to grow as a Christian. I tell you, Angie is a lot better person than she was when she's 18. And I tell you, I'm a lot better person than I was when I married her. Got to allow our, our husband and wife to grow. With exceptions, our spouse wants a good marriage too. Your wife wants to treat you right and to be a kind lovable wife. She wants a good marriage. She wants the exact same things you do. And so we're going for the same thing. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that our spouse is a goodwill person. And we've got to work together. Do we want to win the argument? Or do we want to have a good marriage? We want to have a good marriage. And one other thing I'll throw in real quick on this, the subject of... uh, changing ourselves, taking care of ourselves. One of the things I used to say is somebody's got to do something. Well, sometimes somebody does have to do something. But you know, that's not always true. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Sometimes I kind of pat myself on the back and does something dumb or says something dumb and, and rather than correct her and get an argument I just just ignore it and just move on and everything's cool and then I ask myself I wonder how many hundreds of times she's ignored something bad that I did or said probably a lot of times and that's what makes for a good marriage it is discretion a good judgment, a smart thing to do for a man to overlook a transgression. Everything doesn't have to be dealt with. Some things can just be left alone and forgotten. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells a story about a, a shepherd that loves the sheep, and then the thief comes in, and Jesus says the thief does not come in except to kill and to steal and to destroy. And Jesus said in this parable says, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I've never discussed this with anyone, and I might be wrong. We can talk about this later. You can correct me. But I think what Jesus is talking about here is, one, he wants us to have eternal life. That's obvious. But Jesus wants us to have a good life here. And he doesn't want us to just have a good life here. He wants us to have an abundant life. One of my favorite places is where in the, one of the Gospels, the Bible says that Jesus looked out over, you know, the multitudes come out to hear him. And he looked out over the multitudes and he had compassion on them. That means he, he felt sorry for them. He, he loved them and he wanted to do something for them. He looked out over the multitudes and had compassion on them because they were a sheep 
without a shepherd. I listen to these country songs about husband and wife divorcing each other, and I think, you know, they probably just didn't know how to go about it. They weren't Christians. They didn't have these Christian teachings. They weren't around other good Christians. They didn't have the encouragement. They just didn't know how to have a good marriage. And I feel sorry for them. Jesus feels sorry for us. He, he says, I'm come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus doesn't want you to have an A-OK marriage. He doesn't want you to have a good marriage. Jesus wants us to have a very, very, very good marriage. He wants us to live happily ever after. And so we can have that good marriage if we'll just do what we know to do. I think one of the most important songs in our songbook is a is the song that says trust and obey. Now I don't think that phrase is in the Bible, but I think that that principle is taught all throughout the Bible. Uh, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Moses did something. By faith, Abraham, by faith. What this means is they heard what God said and they believed Him and they trusted Him enough to do exactly what He said. And in each case, they were rewarded. Noah and the ark and Abraham and and, uh, Moses, all these people, they were rewarded because they trusted and they obeyed. We've got to believe that God knows what he's talking about, that Jesus wants us to have an abundant life, that that they can help us have a good marriage. But then the second half of that, our half of that is, we've got to do what they say. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And uh, I think Jesus wants us to have a really good marriage. So take these things and uh, examine our lives. You can say about this lesson, like I said earlier say maybe he's right maybe I need to make some changes so uh, we offer a song of encouragement if there's a change that you need to make in your life and after the things I talked about I'm sure there's a lot of changes that we can all make we call this a song of encouragement as we, as we sing this song think about your life and, and determine to, uh, to do the right thing to be a better Christian